Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Lenny. Guys, welcome back to Constructed Life. This is Austin Lenny here. So we have a new rule now in the podcast. Oh, uh, I just did it last week. So when all my friends have kids, the only way to really get their attention is to have them on the podcast. So as much as this is, uh, we're going to talk about life and investing, this is more to catch up with one of my best friends in the entire world. Uh, one of the guys that inspires me every day, uh, Mr. Uh, Andreas, how are you doing, sir? And I'm good. I'm uh, happy to be back on the podcast. Happy to talk to you. Like you said, we barely talk anymore, but uh, this is a great, a great excuse for us to just catch up. Yeah, hundred percent. So if you guys, I'll just give you the quick, if you haven't listened, Andreas works for the endowment fund at UT. Uh, he manages way too much money. Uh, that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. So we're going to talk about investing this year, where we see a heading. Him and I have a lot of uh, different points of views on a lot of different things. He deals with a lot of the bigger uh, items in investing, and but I'm kind of more the boots on the ground. One of the things that struck me, I've, I've talked to about four different clients this week alone, where the issue I have with investing right now with the way technology is and everything is there used to be like rules. There used to be like, you know, something was going to change. It would change in like six months to a year. I feel like it's changing by the week right now. Like I know that you're dealing with some bigger stuff, some macro stuff, but like on a, on a boots on the ground level, I can't get my hands around anything right now. Now uh, the, the institutions will tell you, look, even the pros man are having a tough year. Okay. If you're not shorting stocks, um, if you're not shorting crypto or like, it's really hard to make money in 2022. It's really hard. That's the bottom line. And you're right. Uh, the reason why things are changing so quickly, it's because uh, the landscape we've been living for the past 40 years is changing. And it doesn't change overnight. I mean, this is a 40-year trend. You're going to change that slowly. You know, it's like the, you know, the Titanic, the Titanic is going to crash and they're trying to move it. It's like slowly, right? You cannot just mm -hmm. fully shift it. That, that's the economy. The U.S. economy, the global economy, um, it requires tweaks. That's why you hear the Fed going like a little bit of hike, not a full, you know, 100 bips. They started with 25, then they went to 50, and they're like, oh, we're behind. Let's go to 75. And they've been doing 75 hikes over and over and over. And the same thing with other, other items like, um, you know, inventories. Companies get really greedy, and they start like mm -hmm. buying a bunch of inventory. And then they're like, wait Seriously. a second. We got ahead of ourselves. We got to slow down the orders you, you know it's so it's so funny that you say that we were we were looking yesterday on the company we we're buying he overbought inventory by like almost a million dollars this year and he did it because supply chain was so hard a year ago but now it's clearing up but he's also older and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be anxiety written where it's coming from so one of the number one things we're doing in this business we're buying is is doing strategic cash flow and inventory systems to set ourselves up for success instead of having these long months of no, like I get it, it is great. And you wanna have all that stuff sitting there, but is that kind of more like the, the game that nobody's playing, paying attention to? Yeah, I think inventories have, uh, I mean, supply chains is its own discussion, right? 
uh, we had uh, COVID, which was like the biggest catalyst for uh, supply chains, right? We've we seen China being the, for, I don't know, two decades being the place where all the inventories go to be made, right? And then China decides that, you know what, we're going to close because we want to treat COVID differently, and that affected everybody else. So that's creating a new shift, right? So we went from globalization where, you know, the world is global. You don't need to have manufacture anything in the U.S. or in your own country to, um, to something where you go fully outsourced. Now it's reversing, right? And those trends reverse slowly. People are slowly starting to plan, right? Like we, we've seen like um, semiconductor firms um, now building plants in the U.S., right? Uh, there, there's people that are going, instead of China, they're thinking of going to India. They're go, um, Mexico is going to be great for, yeah. for the United States because, mm -hmm. you know, it's closer. You can definitely move things quicker. Labor is cheaper. So these are trends are so long-term that they're changing so rapidly, right? Because to, to the earlier point, um, it, they've been going on for two decades, three decades, actually. I think people mm -hmm. call it like the when the Berlin Wall fell was the beginning of globalization. The world was open and connected. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't even know, like what, late 80s, early 90s? Mm -hmm. I, I'm terrible with history dates. Um, so yeah, man, I think uh, that, that's what's going on. So people that were trying to get ahead of it, they over order in their inventories. And then those that didn't get ahead of it, they're not trying to catch up. But the problem when doing that is that you're going to overbuy or be short. Um, and depending on your business, man, I think that's what's driving a lot of the inflation problem we're seeing because people don't know how to adjust their pricing. Um, and if, like if you're a home builder, right, like, you know, you've been operating under certain prices and then suddenly like you got to adjust. So like that's going to drive up the prices of how you sell the the home, like the services that you pay, right? Um, and then labor has been really tight. So how yeah. you pay for that labor is going up. And that's the biggest factor going on right now, right? Yeah. Um, the, the housing market's crashing. Uh, all these different things are going wrong, right? Credit's finally slowing down. But man, labor's strong, right? And if people, are, if people don't want to get a premium for work, then like you as a business owner, you're going to have to pay more. Right. And that's yeah. what drives inflation. Well, that's the, and, the labor side so, of inflation. It's, it's so funny that you say that. So, you know, we're in the HVAC plumbing electric space. We're purchasing one in the next 45 days. We have another one coming right behind it. Dude, I have talked to 30 owners. I've talked to a million people in the private equity space. It's the number one thing. If you don't, we have the business, we don't have the labor. And everybody's maxed out and they're getting hurt. Right. But here's what we did we're going straight to the source. So what I did when I was in Pennsylvania last week, I went and talked to a technical school. We're oh, talking wow. to the high schools. Like yeah. we're talking to the military. Like we're going straight to the source. We're not putting our post on Indeed. Like I'm going to go take you and I'm going to give you a better job. We're going to give you health insurance. Like I'm going to take you. You can't just put a post up on Indeed and Craigslist anymore. Yeah, I think the, the labor market right now, it's really unique because we are under the assumption that people that were working three years ago are going to come back and do the same thing, right? Uh, hello, uh, the world changed, right? If you, haven't, yeah. if you haven't caught up yet, the world changed. And if you're hiring and you, you, you think that the same job that you did three years ago exists,
guys, uh, when he comes back on, his internet went down for a second. Uh, I'm just going to fill in here. The, the problem being is that we're building out a company where we're going to buy multiple companies, right? Multiple things. And you can look at, you know, are you going to raise prices? Are you going to scale? Are you going to do this? You know, what are the items that you're really going to attack? But as the way I see it, the way that we're positioning our thing is the recruiter, the onboarding process of said, you know, kind of thing that we're building. That's really where we're putting most of our focus, right? And I'm willing to pay more for the people and support them. Maybe what, what my philosophy is very simple. I'm going to hire before I need to. Well, why are you going to do that? Because I can scale up the work with marketing jobs, you know, internet ads, all those things, right? Uh, but, 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 but if I don't have the people, I can't, right? And so I filled in and I was just talking about what we're doing. But you're saying you, you cut off and said, you know, the, if you didn't notice, the job that you thought was around is not around anymore. Yeah, man, I think the, the, the labor market, it's really the, the puzzle right now. Like whoever can, can crack that code, it's going to really have a competitive advantage going forward. Well, because uh, those, job, those jobs that, are not there anymore. You I, know? I texted, I texted my, my partner yesterday. We handled the acquisition. I said, I don't say this to be dramatic, but the recruiter and the HR person that we hire, I believe this thing that we're building is the most important person in the entire thing. Like, and I, like, cause here's what, here's what I'm seeing, right. From a business point of view. These companies are doing 4 million, 5 million, 3 million with no marketing, no CRM, no systems, no nothing. So, so I can turn on the ads. I can turn on the SEO. I can turn all that stuff on. But if I don't have the people to take that work, then we really don't have anything. And so, and so at the end of the day, what I was saying when you were gone, I'd rather hire before I need it and then work into the work, not the other way around. Right. You know, I think when, when you and I were talking about like uh, getting together again, um, I've been reading this book, which I've, this is the second time I read it. It's by Howard Marks, a great investor. Um, he has a great podcast now too called the, the memo, I think. And he had this book called uh, all the important things back in the mid two thousands, you know, and, and it's basically, there's no one thing in investing. There's many things. That's the, the whole point of the book. Mm -hmm. And then his second book, uh, it's called Mar mastering the, the market cycle. Right. And that's why I was thinking like, Hey, uh, this could be a great discussion because this is the time where in a lot of uh, both the long-term cycle and the cyclical cycle in between is finally changing, right? Like 40 years of interest rates going down. We're finally seeing that change, right? Mm -hmm. um, globalization. Um, we, we talked earlier, it's changing. Labor is changing. Demographics are changing. So that's really what drives the mega picture. Right. If you mm -hmm. think about, um, you know, like the wave, like I, I like these, these um, uh, there's these uh, uh, Charles Dow, who, you know, was a writer for the what used to be the Wall Street Journal in the 1920s. Um, he wrote basically of the market being uh, like an ocean. Right. And then he had the, the tides. Right. The big waves. Right. Uh, that can last years or decades. Right. And he called these like these are the primary trends and Warren Buffett and his mentor called this the waiting machine of the market. Like, you know, this is the big picture we're talking about, right? Like COVID is just like a data point in this big picture, right? Yeah. Um, the, then the second level is the waves, right? Uh, so the tide, the waves, and the waves is this in intermediate, uh, intermediate trend, right? Like 
2008 financial crisis to COVID to now, right? Um, that's in the middle. And I think in that one, um, you're going to see a lot of noise and a lot of fundamentals, right? The fundamentals are like the economics, like the labor market, the economy, um, what drives your business, supply and demand. And then the noise is what you're talking about, like, man, like crypto goes down, goes up. Um, and then there's a lot of sentiment there too. Uh, and then you have the ripples, right? Which is like the minor trend. And that's all emotions. That's all psychology, yeah. greed and fear. That's it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And a year ago, I, uh, I got this magazine at uh, Whole Foods where it's like, how to make money in crypto, right? This year you go, you go to the stands this year um, and you're gonna see how like, it's all about like the end of crypto, right? Because that's the emotion that's, now crypto might be a, a, a 10 year, I mean, we, we've already been 10 years into Bitcoin, right? So uh, that might be a, a wave, right? But this is just uh, a ripple within that wave. Right? It might take decades. It took decades for the internet to become the yeah. internet, right? So well, you're going to see a lot of those emotions. So hiring early to your point, it's part of that intermediate wave mm -hmm. or that tie, thinking ahead, mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, well, we, we might get a recession. Uh, things might get tough. The market's tight. Eventually the market might get looser and you're going to actually get people that want jobs, right? So being ahead of that, thinking big term, big picture, um, long-term, eventually you, you end up basically making the decisions that are going to drive the next 10 years, right? And you and I talk about this a lot, like in, in like just um, habits and, you know, and things like that. You, you well, like atomic habits, right? Well, no, no, it's it's funny because I attach different things to, to a reason, right? And what I mean by that is like, it hit me uh, it's three months ago when I was sitting in that man's li living room, you know, buying his company. Uh, I don't like, don't get me wrong revenue they're the lowest price per per hour we can shift things you know all that stuff we're going to do all that stuff but then i realized that the data point i wanted to hit was i wanted to win the award for best place to work so if that's my why then my actions are going to move in that direction if we become that when we become a lightning rod for people to come out for a great place to work and guess what behind that we're going to have more people to push more profits right I mean, it, it's like, what's a competitive advantage for a company today to attract talent, right? Like, well, let's it's, be it's, honest. It's health insurance. It's, it's upper mobility. It's, uh, it's where their kids live. It's the school system. Flexibility too. Flexibility, okay? yeah. You know why? Because the world became flexible, right? Like all of a sudden we realized, I mean, you and I, dude, we used to meet up at a coffee shop and have this chat, right? Like we're doing it. Yeah. You know, my connection went off, whatever, but uh, the world became flexible, right? Like that, that allow you to travel and like do the podcast from everywhere. You know, I see you everywhere. Right. So that it's because you can do your job from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right now, not all jobs have that luxury, well, but if you can find a way to, to tie help, you know, what people want, like, uh, it's, it's uh, really funny that you say that. So, right. So one of the things I came up with this week, this is like my biggest idea ever. And it's crazy. And it's going to be so great. And I hate to give it away, but nobody's going to do it. So I'm not worried about it. So we go to this technical school. And I asked them, like, what's the problem? We got this big building with HVAC places everywhere, right? And he said, Well, look, some of these kids live in the dorms, they're traveling for three, four hours, you know, uh, to be in school for two years. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a semi truck, and I'm going to create a training facility inside the semi-truck. And so now I can come to you, right? I can come to our locations where we are around the country and they're branding on the outside. 
And now we become something that's talked about, but we're also, what are we doing? We're allowing flexibility. Oh, you don't want to come to the training. We're going to bring the training to you. Right. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I benefited a lot from, from flexibility. Like there were trainings that usually will happen like in New York, like that's, you know, when I chose to come back from, from the Northeast, like um, it's like, oh, I have to travel to New York for like, you know, whatever training or um, in like dude, during the pandemic, they opened up like all these axes and, and it's benefited tremendously in my development and my own growth. Right. So, and then working from home, right. Like um, depending on your job, the ability to be at home, to manage the, to, to blend uh, life and work, right. Into something more cohesive that can work for you. Uh, I think that that's a huge competitive advantage going forward. Um, and tech, tech had the upper hand, I think they didn't use it well. I think mm -hmm. big tech, it's it it's basically like, you know, and you you and I talked about this years ago. Like Austin didn't suffer from crash uh, the housing crash because, you know, tech was booming and we still have a lot of tech uh, companies going on. So they had the ability. Most tech companies have the ability to have their their workforce remote, right? And imagine if you can just suddenly cost cost by saying, you know what, guys, uh, we have this huge campus. We're just gonna sell it. And you'll work from home. We'll give you a stipend, whatever. Uh, I mean, that lowers costs. That drives, you know, the, the the actual earnings, right? But what they did, their competitive advantage was on like, well, we're gonna give you all these stock compensation, pay you really well. We're gonna give you food, uh, massage chairs, whatever. You know, like that's not competitive. Uh, competitive advantage. I'm sorry, right? So when you're attracting these really high quality talent, suddenly, um, this is why you're selling them. And then now you're going through your crisis and then it's like, well, I have to cut costs because I went from being Facebook to being meta. Um, my stock went down 75%. So that's worth nothing. Um, then suddenly I cannot really give you food. I can barely pay you a salary. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, what's your competitive advantage, right? They, they should have used all these different things, right? Mission, the vision and, and, and the culture of the company to keep people, to drive them strongly. And I'm not, hating on Facebook by no means, but mm -hmm. um, I think this happened, you know, they're the poster child, but it happened across all tech. Um, and then they they're losing their competitive advantages because it's a competitive space um, and they didn't know how to set up the right culture. I think culture is huge when it comes about talent retention, well, um, attracting people and developing people. So um, we'll reading, see, we'll see what happens, but yeah. I'm reading a book right now that's changing my life. Uh, I don't what know how it? I just got it. Good to great. Uh, oh, yeah, Jim I think Collins. it's there. Yeah, Dude, yeah, you see it like, right there. Yeah, and, he, and, and I'll give <laughs> yeah. you the long and short of it. You know, he said, you know, the successful CEOs of the most you know, powerful companies ever, they weren't the flashy ones. They had competition, but they were quiet. They were stoic. I think what was happened with tech, with technology, with, okay, there's this guy I study. His name is Andrew Wilkinson. He's a billionaire. He's 30. He, he, he's, he owns 40 companies. He's invested in 80. He's a really interesting cat. They call him the Warren Buffett of the internet. And he lives in Vancouver. And he said, look, I don't want to innovate. He goes, innovation is for Elon Musk, is for somebody else. He goes, I want to be tangibly attached to something that means something. And so here's my theory. You got the baby boomers leaving this kind of paper and pen, not technology businesses that still needed HVAC, plumbing, electric, you know, title company, all these things. In my 20s, I wanted all the things that got me headlines. I wanted to be the flashy. I wanted to be everything. But now I'm building what I consider real legacy, real wealth. And I have to highlight other people to do that. And so we're going more 
you know, for lack of a better word, the boring route, but more importantly, the essential route. Because if I really want to get granular on it, if you don't have your AC working in Texas in the summer, you're going to fucking die. And so I know I'm not trying to be hyperbole, but it is something that's needed and it's not going to go away. And then if I take that note and then they just pass two laws that they have to upgrade every refrigeration system off of Freon over the next 30 years, and they're getting stipends from the government to do it, the sector is going to triple in the next 30 years. Pair that with technology and being able to do margins. It's kind of a recipe for what we're really excited about. You know, and you mentioned Warren Buffett. Um, guess which company is back in the top five of the, the S&P? Berkshire. Like, this guy is like, you know what I mean? Like, he bought, he bought um, energy companies, insurance, like boring businesses. Yes, he ended up dabbling in tech and whatnot. But um, talk about consistency, right? Mm -hmm. And leadership and, and integrating businesses. Everybody looks at like Elon Musk, look, you know, he's this... You know, he's, he's a genius, like no disrespect, but yeah, um, yeah like, is he a leader? I don't know. I, I really, he's, he's I, chosen, uh, you know. So, so here's the problem. Um, here's the thing with Elon. I respect it. I can see it from afar, but he's chosen volatility as his vehicle. Like he lives and thrives off of volatility and that's okay. He's the innovator. But right. here's my thing. I don't want to get 75 phone calls a day. That's not my game, right? Right. right? And, and so, and so when you, and, and one of the things, it's funny, I could look through our text chain and like, that could be a, a fucking college course. Like that that could be a there. college course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and what I'm saying is, is that one of the things that you've taught me, and I think is, is I really want you to hammer down and, and talk to people about this is like, is like, I'm a risk taker and I'm, I, I'm willing to go and start a million companies and fail. I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But you really taught me to separate emotion and kind of, you know, talk about risk and downside. I don't think people, especially real estate investors, don't really understand the downside risk protection. No, I, I think you're, you, you absolutely right. Um, risk management is key, right? And um, there, there's this saying that like, yeah, you, I saw it yesterday, by the way, I went to get a haircut, uh, shout out to my barber. Um, you know, do I drive an hour to see this dude? He's the best. Mm -hmm. um, and I stopped to buy something at the gas station that was like the lottery stuff, you know, scratch it. And it's like, if you don't, if you don't spend money, you won't make money. That was basically what they said. Right. And I'm like, that's true. But if you lose your money, you don't have money to play. Right. That's just the bottom line. Like if you go to a casino and you put all your chips, you know, in, in black um, and then you lose it all, you're done. Right. Um, so it's like, can you really find a way to continuously have chips to put on the table? That's the whole point about risk management in a nutshell, right? It's understanding that like, if something goes wrong, will I be able to come back from this, right? Will I have some, you know, or do I have to fully start from scratch? And um, it's easier when you, to create that mindset when you, don't, you have little than it, you know, and that's the tuition fee early on in your career. Um, but then eventually as you get bigger, it comes down to three things that I like to uh, highlight. I learned this from, from uh, the CEO of, um, of you, Timco, uh, Bert Harris, who's like, you know, a time in, in our industry. Uh, and he calls it the three bullets to the brain. One is leverage, right? Uh, because leverage magnifies returns, but it also magnifies losses. So managing the leverage correctly is huge, right? So it doesn't mean zero. It doesn't mean a hundred. It means the, 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 for each company, for each business, it might be somewhere in the middle. 
right? If you're early as a company, you might not be able to get on a lot of leverage, like a debt, because you have no business, right? So you might have to go through the equity, getting people to put in, you know, money into the equity. And that's like, think about venture capital, right? And then as you mature, like Warren Buffett, Berkshire is a mature company. Uh, they use debt because they, they're stable. They can acquire that more cheaply. Uh, and you have to manage the two. So that's leverage, right? Um, and then right now, here's the key with leverage. Interest rates are going up. So if you've been building your business around leverage, this is a terrible time for you because you're going to be refinancing at higher rates for the foreseeable future, right? Uh, so if you were a real estate guy, hey, man, bought a house, 100K, 3% uh, interest rate, um, then you, you think you're good unless you locked it for 30 years. Uh, or if you were planning like rates are going down and I just refinance at a lower rate next year. That's gone. That, so if that was your business, you're out of business, right? Um, the second uh, element after leverage is liquidity, right? Why liquidity? Just think about it like this. Let's say that you have a great company and you're trying to expand, right? And then we go through a recession in a year, right? And you're like, man, my biggest competitor is going out of business. Right? And they're selling their assets. I wish I can buy them, but I'm, I don't have any liquidity, right? That's the key with liquidity. It's great for that. Or you got laid off and you got to basically uh, find a way to survive until you find another job, right? Having liquidity is the way you access that. So leverage and liquidity are huge in terms of risk management, right? Again, the level of liquidity depends on the company, right? So what do you really need to survive for the next six to 12 months? Or how do you feel about like leverage and liquidity, right? Uh, and sometimes you can merge the two, right? You can use, you know, credit lines to be able to provide liquidity and so on. But when things are tough, people that provide credit don't want you to use that credit, right? It's just unfortunate when you need the liquidity the most, um, you know, you might need many different real cash. So cash has a purpose. The last one, which is something that a lot of people that are not portfolio managers don't understand, it's concentration, right? So if you want to get rich, right? Like wealthy, mega wealthy, concentration is the way to go. You start a business, one industry or something very specific, and you hope you become successful at it. There's no other route, right? Um, and, and like, I'm talking about like, if you want to be uh, Elon Musk, right? Like you got to go all in on something, right? And as things start playing out, right? Then you need to diversify, right? So you start with concentration, right? Put all, all the chips in, you know, in, in black. And then as you develop as a, as a professional, uh, as an investor, as an entrepreneur, then you diversify because concentration is a wealth creator. Diversification is a wealth protector, right? They both have a purpose, but most people don't understand the difference, right? They think like, well, I own three different properties. I'm diversified. No, you own real estate, right? If that's what you own, whether it's commercial, like that's one industry, it's very cyclical. Right. Oh, well, I own um, a business, a private equity business and that invests in tech in big tech across all tech. Well, you invest in tech, period. There's no other, no other way to put it. So portfolio managers like mass think in terms of diversification and the trade off of concentration, because we, we also have to make money. So how you concentrate and diversify the mix of those two is really how you compound at higher rates of return. And that's where risk management plays the biggest, biggest component, right? In, in, in setting up the probabilities in your favor. You're not always going to be right, but 
more often than not, you want to be right. And I'm going to touch one more, um, the sources of return. Most people don't know where, when they're right, they don't know why they're right, right? So look, I bought a house, I flipped it and I made money. Okay, was it because the market was hot? Was it because you did something to the house? Like, why did you make money, right? Um, I bought a business and somebody wanted to buy it from me for a higher price. Well, what do you do? Did you fix the operations? Like, did you increase the revenue? What happened here? I bought a crypto and it doubled. Why did it double, right? Do you understand what's going on? Most people don't. So here, here, here is something I want everybody to remember. There's three main sources of return for anything. This goes for most companies, most investments. Usually you have a growth component, right? So with the exception of commodities, you know, you have a business that's growing. You have a property, you can increase the rent next year. That's growth, right? So if you have growth, that's a great source of return. It's very good source of return, but it could be cyclical, right? The second one is a yield, like a cash flow in, in, in a property, right? Well, every month I get, you know, paid uh, this much or like I, I'm a lender and I, I lend at 5%. That's my yield, right? And then the last one is valuation. This is where emotions typically tend to take it to extremes, right? Why you pay for something matters, right? Because if you pay too much for something, the likelihood you're going to be wrong is really high, right? But if you buy it very cheaply, even if you were wrong, right, the odds are better in your favor. So that's the valuation component. It's all about sentiment there, right? People, um, I, I, I like to joke about this one. Like, yeah, I bought my house three years ago. It doubled. Why did it double? Yeah, you know, I did a few things in that, but I didn't really change the core of the house. It's not because the growth or the cash flow changed. No, right? It's because the sentiment. Somebody thinks it's worth more, right? But nothing really changed. That's valuation, right? The sentiment component of something, right? I bought crypto, uh, uh, Bitcoin at 60000 Is that a great value? Now that's 15000 right? Now, crypto is all emotion. That's fear and greed, period. Um, but there are some people that actually had a valuation model tied to it. And they, they say, well, it could be worth 500,000. So I'm going to buy it at 60, right? So yeah, good luck, you know, like, because right now it's 15. So that's, that's what people are willing to pay for that. It doesn't have a growth component, right? The main growth is like, oh, can people, you know, uh, develop new, you know, the new crypto, right? Like the, the supply of it. Uh, but it's not something you control, like a company, you can help drive the revenue, like, you know, educate your, your employees and ta-da-da-da. Um, or a property you can add to it, like that's the growth component, right? Uh, and then the, the yield is what we're talking about interest rates. The yield is always a function of the environment. If you're in a higher interest rate environment, the yield should be higher. So understanding, and people forgot about that component because rates were so low, right? So now I just wanna remind people those are the three sources of return. Don't forget about yields as, as rates are going up uh, and always think about valuation because that's where most people get it wrong. They just go with the hype you're missing out and then you you just put the odds against you so well guys i hope you just got a master class <laughs> in investing in economics so and and one of the things i want to present to you is is the sentiment that's changed in my inside my mindset moving forward and it took me a long time to get here as i've been you know in the real estate space for many a years you know seven plus years give it maybe longer um I've seen a lot of projects, a lot of interesting projects, shipping container hotels and, and, and just, you know, real estate deals and Airbnbs. I, I've seen, you know, hundreds go to the table and never get funded. And so I've changed my mindset on real estate. 
I still believe it's an amazing vehicle long-term to make money, but I'm, but here's my thing. I believe in just my personal portfolio that real estate is something that I can put cash into once I've already made money in the businesses that I buy or a high income earning, not the other way around. So, so, so meaning it's a vehicle to dump my money now, not create my money. Not a wealth creator. It's a wealth yes. protector. Is that what I'm hearing? It's a wealth protector. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so, 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 so I'd rather go on the business route because I can pull the levers quicker and change things and acquire and it's tax-free income within the business until I pull it out and then dump the money back in because we're only going to be taking 30% to 40% of our cash flow. And then another 30% is going to go back into other investment vehicles within the company and so on. You can go any route you want, but for me personally, uh, I'm tired of having to be at the whim of mortgage brokers. Like I'd rather have the cash to go do my projects for myself because I know they're going to be successful and not have to live and breathe by them approving me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be pretty agnostic when it comes to businesses, you know, that like, you know, I, I think they all, um, you know, when I think about investments, I, I think about across the universe, right? And because they tend to do better at different times, right? There are some investments that are uh, pro-cyclical, like they, as the economic cycle expands, they tend to do better, real estate falls there, right? Um, and then there's some investment that tends to be more counter-cyclical. So this is like, uh, you know, if I invest in like, um, I don't know, Walmart, right? Like, or uh, the COVID hits, you know, everybody's buying, to buying toilet paper, right? So guess what? Like, you know, they're going to, people are going to continue to do that stuff, right? So dentists, believe it or not, dentists are a great investment in counter-cyclical times because people, yeah. you know, typically tend to go there, healthcare, you know, um, equipment, like insurance. Some people tend, tend to continue to, to maintain certain business lines. So that, that's the way I see the, the, the investment landscape. Uh, how you deploy that as an entrepreneur, it really varies on your skill, right? Mm -hmm. So if you do have a, if you feel like you, your skill set, um, it's better outside of real estate um, and then the liquidity needs that you need, that you, that you need to fund your business are better, um, then I, I think that that's a great decision, right? Uh, if you have an expertise in real estate, meaning like you can really assess location and, and be able to manage your funding, have, you know, uh, good ways to to scale and expand. Maybe you even have a construction component. I feel like if you don't have a construction component in real estate, it's really hard to scale, right? Uh, unless you're only the funding source, like if you're coming from a financial perspective. So when it comes to other businesses outside of real estate, call it like... Um, uh, an entrepreneur route where you're creating a business with employees and you have a product to sell or something like that. Um, there's, there's this operational leverage factor that, that which you talked about, like how can I continue to grow my revenues without adding new staff, without adding new mortgages, without building another house, right? Like that's the problem with real estate to scale. You need land and you need properties and right. But if you um, all of a sudden, um, you have a product, I don't know, the next iPhone, and you find a way to produce it within the same facility, like double your your output without having to put it, that's operational leverage, right? And I think that's where, you know, um, companies that have become huge um, eventually is because they found that, you know, the, the holy grail, right? Um, and I think Tesla is an example of one that have struggled with that, that holy grail, how to get the operational leverage, like, 
you know, they cannot really fulfill, they have the demand, but they cannot fulfill the orders or the parts are too expensive. Like the operational leverage hasn't fully always been there. Um, and it's one of the reasons I think they're, you know, they, they're revolutionizing the car industry. But imagine if they would have gotten the Holy Grail, like they, they will be mm -hmm. the number one company um, in the market, period. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, right, is 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 uh, I was I was uh, I could go through my notes and, and pull it out, but I, I had an epiphany, and I realized why you know earlier in my career I wasn't challenged. Like I only want to run races moving forward that I can't win. Like I think that's why you and I like cycling. I think that's why you and I like that kind of races is that you can always improve. And for me, the business aspect of it is always. You know, we're yeah. taking over a company. There's 170 things we could do, but what are the five main things that we need to pull levers on for the first five months and then work from there? You know, and and that's kind of where my brain goes to this day. I think we need to adopt more of a long-term mindset of like, this is what the business you're going to be in, meaning investing or entrepreneurship for, you know, 50 plus years. It doesn't need to happen in in, in two years. Yeah, it's and you, you always pose about that and I love it. It's like, you know, we, we tend to overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, 1% better each day, 1% better each day. That's not going to add up, right? And 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, wow, like, you know, like you and I talked uh, last time in the podcast a couple of years, like, man, like the growth in the last couple of years, just professionally for me has been immense because mm -hmm. to your point, like, hey, I'm, I'm into this industry. This is my profession. This is my craft. I, I approach it like a craftsman, right? And I try to like educate myself, continue to educate myself, to try to learn from experiences. And and again, not measuring against Warren Buffett or like, you know, like, can I be better than I was yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that mentality is really what sets a lot of people apart. To your point, I'm not going to uh, beat the record for a marathon. Like that's like almost two hours. Like, you know what I mean? But can I beat my own record, right? The next time I race, right? Can I can I continue to work hard on my own craft so that I can continue to show improvement day day after day? Um, and then yeah, being being disciplined and strict. I think you you, you a great example of discipline, in, you know, in, in in being consistent. This year my motto was consistency, right? Yeah. Next year yeah. it's discipline. Like, well, it's, you know, it's it's they sound the same, but they're different. You know? It's funny. I've given myself some grace this year to to un to to lean back on some things that in the past I would have beat myself up for like hey you're not feeling great you're kind of like one of the things that's the hardest thing I'm working through right now is that my level of busy would like blow people out of the water like the last couple of months I've been busy but not busy in my terms right like I don't have as many meetings and so instead of like beating myself up, by the way, if I wrote it on paper, I'm still doing, you know, 90 million things. But if I, but, but looking at it more of a season to like take a day off or rest or sleep in just a little bit, knowing that in January, when we close the business, it's going to be 24 seven. Like, well, I the, think the that never is ends. Kind of, 
<laughs> that's yeah. a problem, yeah. right? In our world, the race never ends, right? Like, yeah, the markets are closed on Thursday, but you know what? And it's going to be a, this week. It's going to be, a, you know, volumes are low. Like everybody's away. Like the, the big boys are out, right? Yeah, dude, um, I have I have like one of the busiest weeks I've ever I've ever had this last three months and these first three days. And I'm just like, I love it. But, I love when everybody takes off and I'm still but, Yeah, for, for you, it's great because you're like, oh, I can do work, right? Like I'm the same way. Uh, but here's the here's the deal, though. Um, you know, in entrepreneurship, in in business, it's not like a race. It's not like like a like a sports season. You don't get a summer off. You know, or like teaching. Like, yeah, it's twenty four seven. So being able that that one percent better, that consistency, that's the key because you wow. gotta learn to you gotta learn to be able to maintain mm-hmm. that, that 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 rhythm, that pace, right? And if there are seasons in your business utilize those seasons effectively right mm-hmm. saying like hey you know what because i believe the the importance is to 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 grow you also need rest right like it, it, it's it's a part of the equation right mm-hmm. so stress plus rest equals growth that's really the equation so without rest you're gonna basically become burned out and then your effectiveness might come down and efficiency and so on so rest is important but being thoughtful about how to rest when to rest you might only need like well if i do 10 meetings a day maybe i need eight and that will give me enough rest that's good for you it's personal right some people are like no i gotta go to the beach for a week and just don't you know or maybe social media i don't want to be in social media for a week because like you know or listen to the news so finding the right rest to 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 support your lifestyle and be consistent I think that that's key in overall success. It doesn't matter if you're in, in business or not. I think in life in general. And then being disciplined is huge. Um, I'm reading the Ryan uh, Holiday's new book called uh, Discipline is Destiny. And I love it. Like, oh, my God. He has this, this quote from um, Marcus Aurelius. is like, uh, uh, patience with others, strict with yourself. Right? So, like, you know what? Like, not everybody's going to be Austin Leaney and have, uh, you know, like a million things going on, right? So you have to like, you know, be patient. Let them let them be them. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're gonna be a, a big a, a leader in in an industry. I'll be honest with you. Um, I think as a leader, I think it's the I think it's the only thing that truly matters. It's like I can't tell you how many people I run into that are like, man, I you know, well they're not doing it like as quick. And I'm like, dude, they're just different people. Like you have to give them the space to kind of grow into their own thing. Yeah, it's hard though. It's hard because. If you're competitive and you're driven, you, you think everybody should be like you, right? I, I struggle with that sometimes, but I'm like, no, you have to be patient. There's a reason. I mean, I have kids now and I'm like, you know, like you gotta be patient with them. They're, they don't know any better. Like they're kids, they're being kids. That's what they're doing, right? So I lose my patience, but they're just being kids, right? Um, and then the other one that he had in this book that it was about what you spoke about, like, you know, like be, uh, uh, grace for yourself like being graceful like mm-hmm. like you know yes you know what like i wake up at five every day and like i do this hey man like okay fine maybe today wasn't your day for whatever reason or you just decided like, you really needed a break you take a break um but then the next day just be like okay you know what i'm gonna come back strong like just just you know it's okay right like it's just one day in, in now if you continue to to fall apart, then that's different. Now you gotta be strict with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But it, you know, it, it happens, life happens. Um, you know, my daughter was in the hospital, uh, you know, we had to reschedule this. And it's like, hey, you know what? Like, you know, work is gonna have to be work right now. It's whatever's going on, it's gonna have to wait because the most important thing today is my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. 
and make sure that, you know, the family is good and everybody's good. So just prioritizing correctly. What's essential in your life? What's essential in your world? And if you can define those essential items, right, keep the main thing, the main thing, like everything and, else and becomes I think, really well, clear. I think, that, I think the biggest thing is, is once you define those things, don't apologize for them. Oh, of course. No, absolutely. Well, that's the whole point. Once you find those things, there's no apology, right? Like, but because that means that everything and, else and, is And essential. if your friends or your family can't understand the boundaries that you set, then they need, they, they don't need to be. Well, there. you shouldn't care. That's the bottom line. Yeah. If you care, you haven't found your essentialism, right? So keep the main thing the main thing right like my main thing i always say it's really it's invested right that's my main thing right managing portfolios understanding the markets markets dynamics becoming a very investor that's it that's my main thing right when you come in my profession right yeah you know like uh i've thought about like oh i should do a podcast should i do a book should i do a you know a, a, a i'm like Maybe there'll be time for that at some point. But right now, the main thing is for me is this, and I want to maximize that. Why? Because there's other essentials in my life, like my family, right? My health that I want to prioritize. That if I want to do all those other things, then now I have to put those, you know, below that become unessential. And they are not, they are essential. So that's why you don't apologize, right? Because once you accept what's essential in your life, right that means that everything else does not matter right i mean and then, uh, like i'll be, yeah, I'll that's, be that's the only, the only be, key be, to success i'll be as transparent as i can right now and this is a you know a constant fight within myself you know i was an alcoholic for 20 years i've been sober it'd be about four years in about you know another month and i'm not really in the mood to be anybody's friend right now like like not that i'm not a friend i'm always available but like right now for me it's like I'm creating my legacy. Like I'm building businesses, I'm creating jobs. And like, I'm not apologizing for the fact that that is my, that's my focus right now. And, and well, in order that, for me, cause purpose. we want, we, we want to have kids and I want to be, I want to have the freedom to take off Thursday and Friday. And in order to do that, I got to go buy three companies over the next two years. And so if I do that now, then I'm giving that time back to my kid later on. Right. And if that's what no, you need I to do, then, just That's a hundred percent, dude. And now the challenge is going to be when you have the kid and you have the three companies to want to be take all that Thursday and Friday because you know you're driven. You're like, oh my god, like you know. Well, the we're going to have way more by that's, that time, but yeah. Well, that's what I'm but, saying. That's where. But that's where, why. That's why I have a big team. That's why we're hiring. That's why we're looking at it from a different lens. Yeah. We're we're not buying a job. We're buying a lifestyle. And right. so yeah, we might take some money. We might lose some money up front but it's going to pay in the back end because time's so important. Yeah. You know, and you and I, we both love Tim Grover. And I remember in, um, in his book, Winning, you know, he talked about like uh, having to travel. He used to travel a lot to go see Kobe and Jordan and whatnot. And then the, the, his daughter was there like, hey, daddy, like, um, you know, like, where are you going? Where you, you know, like he was missing something important. And he goes like, you know what, um, daddy, this is what I do to put food on the table, right? So... She goes like, well, what if I eat less? Imagine if your daughter tells you that, right? Like, I will be crushed, right? Um, but sometimes it's like, he's like, well, you know what? Like, he didn't cry. He just went on because he, he was setting an example. Sometimes that happens. Look, just um, last week or this week, yeah, last week, my, my son had his um, Thanksgiving lunch. And I had to interview someone for a job uh, at, at work. And, and so it's a, to your point about hiring, 
we've been struggling to find a replacement for, for someone. And I wanted to be there. I, it was my only opportunity to meet this person. And, and I was like, well, I, I, I have to be there because I don't want the decision to go. And then I wasn't part of it, right? And, and I had to make the choice. I was like, hey, I, I, and he was mad. Like he was so disappointed. He's at the age where he's, he's disappointed. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know what? I'm going to try to be there every time I can, but there's going to be times I, I won't be able to be there, right? So managing those now, the weekend comes, I'm playing with him in his room, you know, like you, you try to make up the kids. Luckily, kids forget quickly, right? Um, but it's, all, it's like, are you there? I think we're getting to the point where it's like, you know, uh, being there matters a lot. So yeah. finding the time, more, more quantity than quality. Yeah. And one of the things uh, I respect, you know, because your your wife is a is a very you know right. accomplished doctor, and you're you know running multiple you know millions and all that stuff. For millions, billions, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying not to say the number because I don't uh, want to embarrass anybody, but yeah, five five plus billion. But but what's interesting to me is I respect the hell out of both of y'all for still feeding into what you need to be a great parent too. Right. And I think a lot of people lose themselves and their kids and you're there for them, but you're also doing what you need necessary to, to make you a good father too. It well, goes back first. If I don't do that, then I'll be a terrible dad, right? I'll be a terrible dad. In fact, the, the, word, the days that I feel like I'm failing as a parent, as, a, as a everything is the days that I'm not being myself. I'm not, I'm not also feeding in the things that I, that I, you know, the essentials, right? You know, like health, um, faith or you know contemplation meditation like all these things that i try to balance my life if i don't do those things i feel like i'm failing in, in life if i'm failing in life then i'm failing them as a parent or as, as something else right uh so role model and then i'm failing at work so if i'm not doing great in my job then and it's a it's a it's a it's like a juggling right and yeah. um, I'm going to steal this from, from Britt Harris again. You know, he's a CEO of our company. Um, he's been really, really influential on me. But he says, like, life is basically a bunch of jog juggling balls, right? You have your health, you have your family, you have your friends, uh, you have your faith, and then you have your finances or your work. He's like, they all, all of them are crystal balls except for one, you know? So all of them are crystal balls. You cannot drop them except for one. And the one is really work in finance, right? So... He's like, that one's a rubber ball, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I meant. We're the hospital. That's the rubber ball. Now, I was just catching up on, it's been a really busy year. I was just catching up and I was like, yeah. And then I fell behind again. You know what? It's frustrating, but like, that's the cost, right? That, that's the cost. It at least is a rubber ball. I can get behind on that. But, you know, my daughter's at the hospital. She's having a little surgery. I need to be there, right? So, um, it's just that managing that. And I think that, that that's risk management, right? Like we're talking about all this stuff that that's part of risk management, because if I don't protect those crystal balls, then nothing else matters. Right. So I think finding those crystal balls in your business, in your life, um, in, in everything that matters to you is really huge. And that's, that's a skill I've gotten from, from being in this, you know, investing in risk management business that, um, you know, I've, I've tried to put in my life. How, how do I, how do I see about that? Um, I love that. So we're going to get out of here, but before we do, uh, give your brief kind of, it can be a couple sentences or your word or your thought as we move into 2023, your view on the economy. Man, th this year has been really difficult. I'll start with that. We had the, a war um, that 
caused commodity prices to spike. We've had the highest levels of inflation we've had in decades, right? I had to go back to the 60s to try to like learn about this level of inflation, um, therefore high interest rates, the, the hardest the Fed has gone at, um, uh, you know, at fighting something in, in, in recent years that includes COVID and financial, in the financial crisis in 2008. So as we go into 2023, a few developments that will change is that um, I think the Fed is going to start, you know, hiking less aggressively. Right, we saw the first signs of inflation started to mutter. So it means going down. I think inflation is going to stay elevated. It's not going to be two percent like they want, but it might be like three to five percent somewhere there in the next few years. That includes 2023. Um, housing, I think the the the, the credit markets, it, it, like housing is done. I think if you're if you're in real estate, man, you better put your big boy pants on because you know if you think we're going through something bad right now. Um, if we do go into a recession, it's going to get a lot worse. So um, there's a 100% probability of recession next year. Um, I think I'm starting to see a few like economists come out and say, well, maybe not, right? Um, so I think if you really look at the evidence, there's likely to be a recession in 2023. That's the evidence, right? You can ignore it. We, we might avoid it. Um, consumer spending is strong, so that, that's, that's a positive labor market strong so that's a positive but if those things remain a positive the fed's going to be even tougher so then if the fed becomes tougher that means a recession now recession also means opportunity right so being able to think opportunistically this is where having low leverage high liquidity matters right diversification matters during a recession so um you know i've been fighting these urge to i started the year defensive and i become more aggressive in the middle of the year um and I've been fighting this, this, you know, battle of like, should I be more defensive, should, should more aggressive? I think uh, right now I'm pretty neutral. And I think going into 2023, you know, I might be neutral, but opportunistic. If I see signs that we want to skip a recession and then risk on, then try to be more aggressive. And then if I see signs that, no, we're going into a recession and this could be pretty bad, then might be more risk off and, and a little more defensive. So I think anyone out there, business owners, if you're short-term rentals, have a lot of liquidity, you know, grow, it's, plan on spending being low, right? There you go. If you're a business owner, man, manage your cost. Manage your cost, input costs, inflation, employees, try to look for retention. Uh, this is not the time to overinvest. This is the time to look for opportunities, right? Um, and if you're an investor, this is the time to be defensive, but opportunistic, right? Like don't wait too long. If, you, if the coast is clear, go on. But also be mindful that the, you know the the next year is going to be um, you know pretty uh, uh, pretty choppy. You know if when you continue to use the ocean, the tide is coming and it's changing, and um, this is the time to to manage the risk uh, appropriately. So that will be my my closing remarks. I'm I I, I want I, I wish I could just end that in a positive note, but it's really there's really little to to be too positive about. I think the only positive is that, yeah, we might have seen the peak in inflation. Maybe we saw the peak in the Fed, hopefully. And um, we'll see how, how things go from there. But well, my, I'm trying my to be very, very data dependent. Well, well, I'll finish it off with a positive note. Okay. So here's a mindset shift that you can have with where the market's at, regardless of where it goes. 
a lot of times in life, we're either moving too quick or the market's so good that we can't do maintenance. So in my opinion, you can treat this time as maintenance on yourself. You can read more books. You can take care of your health better. You can spend more time with your kids. Um, you, you don't need to look at it as all negative. Um, there's a lot of positives that to do stuff that you aren't available for, go play catch with your, your kid, go fish more, play golf more, you know, all those things that you can get outside. And then when the market does turn around, you'll be that much rested up and ready to take advantage of it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> uh, maintenance. I love that. By the way, it's my new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Like you're, if you're a machine, like you got, you got to maintain it, man. Like mm-hmm. you're the best machine created in the world. Like our yeah. bodies are a machine. So hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. You take us out. Awesome. All right, <laughs> All guys. Good to see you. Thanks everything for this. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com. 